Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the podcast. There's some big changes happening on this show. If you've listened at all over the last couple of weeks, you heard that I started seminary. Yes, I started grad school and I went back and I got my bachelor's and finally am in grad school to get a seminary degree. However, I was doing a daily podcast. So this show is going to be changing to a weekly longer format, but just because I want to be sure that I am doing the best I can in school, but I want to keep this show going. So we're going to go to a weekly format. Other exciting news, my brand new EP called Freedom just came out anywhere you get music. You can go listen to it now and you can support the show by going to the show notes and clicking support. Today, we're going to start off this new format and we are going to listen to a story of Melissa from the Sophia Wellman uh, YouTube channel, Enjoy. It's an awesome story. Here we go. I tried to put myself in that straight little box for a long time, be that Stepford wife. And I, it's like, it never felt right, you know? With coming out later in life, there, it's not like you can just come out. You can't just come out. You've got a million other things that you have to think about and consider and undo. And that goes for really anybody, even if you haven't been in a marriage and you're coming out later. People judge you in a lot of ways for it. I've been accused of lying to my husband and like, oh, you should have never even married him. You knew, you knew. And I didn't know, did not know. But there are women that do know when they get married. For those people, I get it. You know, you're doing what society is asking of you. You're doing what's safe for you. The conversation with my husband where I started to tell him that I was questioning my sexuality, it happened very gradually. Um, So it wasn't like I burst in the room and I was like, I'm gay. You know, (laughs) there was none of that. It was very much like, okay, like I'm having these thoughts and I don't really know what to do with them. I didn't want to in any way be unfaithful to him. As his wife, I I wanted him to know that I was having those feelings and that they were getting to be stronger and stronger. Um, And, you know, initially I was identifying as bisexual um, and that that felt good, felt right, and it made sense. You know, of course you are, you slept with men. We together decided that I should find a therapist to speak to about what I was going through. I don't know them coming out, but I definitely need to talk to someone who has experience with like kind of this midlife shift in sexuality. Um, and so I did a few sessions with her um, and sat there and sobbed the whole time. I remember at one point my therapist said to me, you feel that it's inevitable. And I said, what? And she said that you're going to get divorced. And it was like, it was such like being hit by a Mack truck. I felt so deflated because she could see it, but I couldn't see it yet. And that led us into the marriage therapy, which we gave a shot. Just to try to figure out how are we gonna navigate this? Like, what does this mean? What are our options here? How common is this? After the end of our first session, our therapist was like, you guys communicate really well together. Like this is, this went surprisingly well. And I was like, thank you. Like we do, we're, we're good together. Um, but by the end of our fourth session, he said, I can't do anything for you guys. 
After the being fired by the marriage therapist, we, we realized that we needed to move on to separating. Um, and that's what we did. We separated. Um, we initially did something called nest parenting, which is where um, each parent continues to live in the household and so do the kids, but um, whichever parent does not have custody of the, ch the children at that time leaves the house. I needed to know if I was going to miss this relationship. I needed to know if I was going to miss him. I miss him, but I, I miss the friendship. I miss the co-parent. I don't miss the intimacy. It was very much the data that I needed to see what we needed to do. And he dated as well during that time. Then he met someone that he really hit it off with. And they're still together today. And. Um, that was that was the thing that was kind of unforeseen difficulty for me, you know, watching him move on, because I was happy for him. But at the same time, it's that's my person, you know, my person's going. We recently took our kids to Disney World, along with his girlfriend and her ex-husband and their child. Um, and I think that's what made it easier to see that he was moving on, but that we were still a family and that we could still do things together. And that's been a big thing for me is divorce doesn't mean that you're no longer a family. Divorce means you're no longer married, but we're still a family and we still do so many things together. And I think a big fear too with, with getting divorced is that you're missing really special moments with your kids because you know it's his year for Christmas or Halloween. But how we've chosen to do it is that we celebrate those holidays together. I have heard countless times that I just didn't have the right man. And it is probably the dumbest argument I think I've heard in my coming out. Um, the problem was that he was a man. My husband was a wonderful person to me, provider, caregiver, all the things. Um, and I, I like to remind the husbands that are experiencing this that it's the problem isn't that you're not a good enough husband. It's just that there has been an awakening and a realization there. And just as much as she deserves to explore that, they deserve to find something that is more fulfilling. During my process, I lost about 15 to 18 pounds because I couldn't eat, like I physically, I had such a pit in my stomach, I could not eat. And here I am taking care of two small kids. And I remember putting on like a show for them to watch and going into my bathroom and just laying on the bathroom floor and sobbing. Um, uncontrollably. But as a parent, <laughs> you only get about 20 minutes, you know? So I'd have to pull myself together and go back out there. And it's one of those things where it's gotten better. I'm no longer on the bathroom floor. Um, but I, I have my moments where it hits me still. Um, it hits me everything that happened, everything that got undone, and it's sad. It's a lot to get used to. It feels like, well, I'm gay. I, I'm not allowed to be upset about this. Like, you don't want him in that way. Um, but in the same instance, you're, you're losing someone. We've been divorced for four years now. And it's still one of those things where I'm like, wow, I'm not married to him anymore. I spent 14 years of my life with him. So it was very much grieving my marriage itself, but also grieving the future that I thought I had. And going into a future that I have no idea what it looks like.
Um, I don't know if I'm going to find a partner. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take care of myself financially. At one point leading up to the separation from my husband, we talked about doing an open marriage. And we talked about it for a while, we researched it a little bit, even talked to the marriage therapist about it. And I realized that it wasn't just about having a girlfriend on the side. It was about being out and being proud of who I was and being able to express that. It's about feeling a comfort with your partner, being able to lay in bed together for hours and just cuddle and feel close to someone. Um, I never had that closeness with a man. I think it was hard for me to get used to at first, dating women, being so open emotionally, having such deep conversations. I just wasn't used to it. But honestly, it's been really rewarding to finally like allow myself to open up in so many ways on an emotional level that I never would have allowed myself to before. Now intimacy is something that I look forward to. <laughs> I don't need alcohol for. It feels so good that even at 41, I can feel that way. Um, and that's, that's just, it's one of the great things about being alive and on this planet, you know, is to experience true intimacy. I can't say that I've ever regretted doing any of this, um, getting a divorce, coming out. Um, there are moments where it is hard and you wonder if you did the right thing um, because there is a lot of grief that comes with it. Um, there's a lot of sadness. But I think about where I am today and where I was on the bathroom floor and how vastly different I feel and how I finally feel like myself for the first time in my life. And I also think about that my story is helping other people. Being authentic has opened doors for me since coming out. It's allowed me to let go of so many opinions, not just about my sexuality, but who I am as a person, um, and allowed me to get creative again. I started doing stand-up comedy a couple years ago because I thought to myself, what's more scary than coming out? Nothing. Nothing is more scary than telling my religious parents that I'm gay. And so why not do stand-up, you know? I've started writing creatively, writing a book and writing scripts for a TV show. It's allowed me to let go on so many levels. Um, and also allowed me to just to meet so many people that I would have never met before. A few years ago, a friend of mine that I met in the group for coming out later, um, we started a podcast called The Lesbian Chronicles. And we cover everything about coming out, um, from how to approach the subject with your husband, how to let go of that guilt and shame that comes from coming out later, um, how to date, how to, how to meet women, you know. Uh, and we, we take a very fun approach to the whole thing. It is a serious subject and it's hard, um, for sure. But we try to, to give people a little bit like of a, an uplift in it. It's grown a lot. We have listeners in 40 countries. We get emails daily from people saying how much we're helping them. And it's been an incredibly rewarding experience. The number of people that I hear from all the time that say, you doing this has inspired me to do it. And that gives me, that's another thing that gives me peace. Um, and when I was going through my, my process and trying to navigate everything, I felt like I couldn't find any information on coming out later. 
I remember at one point I was like, I'm the first one. <laughs> like everybody else realized when they were 16 and I'm just like showing up here. It's a very underrepresented portion of the community. There's, there's like this hush about it, you know? You, you can come out later, but don't broadcast it. Don't, don't broadcast that you had a marriage pr previously. Um, you know, if someone asks, you can explain where the kids came from, but <laughs> for the most part, it feels like a lot of people didn't want to talk about it. There was a shame uh, around it. And when I was going through this, I thought to myself, like, I've got to talk about this. Like, there's people, there's people like me out there that need to know this information. They need to know that they're going to be okay and that it's doable. I mean, getting a divorce is one of the most traumatic things you can go through. Getting a divorce and trying to explore your sexuality, like, it's, it's hard and scary on a level that most people have never faced before in their lives because they have been following the path of least resistance and being a people pleaser. So to take that leap and, and go for it, it takes a lot, a lot of courage and a lot of undoing. And we hear from people all the time struggling going through this. They're married, they're scared, they don't know how they're gonna do it, they don't know how they're gonna tell family, their friends. Um, they've been raised in a very religious household um, or they're still part of a religious, you know, like a church that's very much holding them back. And I think the biggest thing that is holding them back in this is fear and fear of the unknown and fear, you know, taking that leap of faith. I want other people to realize that that religion that you're taught as, as a tiny baby, <laughs> child, formative years, is not the end all be all. I hate that religion has such a stronghold on people and keeps them from living their life. I think that's the, that's the saddest part is like, you've got this thing that you're so worried about what's happening once you're gone that you're not living the life that you have here. It's not only the fear of, of judgment of your family and friends and having to undo your whole life, but it's not knowing. Um, and not knowing if there's gonna be anyone there at the finish line. Um, and I had that fear for a long time during the past few years with dating and things not working out. I realized that it was more than that. It was more than finding a person. It was more about finding me and being authentic to myself and letting go of other people's ex expectations um, and living my life for, for me and who I wanted to be. Hey friends, each and every week, I have the awesome opportunity of sitting across from people for hours and just give them support from LGBTQ people to allies, just navigating how to be themselves, love who they love, and continue to have faith. Now, this work is time consuming and sometimes very expensive. So I wanted to give you a creative way to sponsor this work. If you go to my website, joannawhaley.com and click on the sponsor tab, you can actually support individuals who are receiving spiritual support from me. It's important that those who are receiving this type of support do not have a fee getting in the way because it could also out somebody unnecessarily if they pay for a service. 
So I want to give a creative way for us to support people. All the names and situations are changed. Go to joannawhaley.com and click on sponsor. Are you awake or sleeper Friends, welcome to the new format of this podcast. As I said in the beginning of the show, yeah, I'm in the middle of school and seminary is in full swing and it has been a wild ride so far. And I'm thankful for all the people that have been listening to this show. I know that the daily format is is nice and but what I'm doing here is just offering you a much longer version of the podcast but also thank you to all of you who've been listening uh, to the Freedom EP I am just shocked and in awe by the amount of folks listening and giving incredible feedback on the EP Um, just so honored that all of you have been listening and I hear you Uh, To find freedom in a post-evangelical world is really difficult and to understand the Easter season. So that's why I'm excited to kind of dive into um, dive into today, today. starting a three week, I I guess you call it a series, kind of like a church service, right? Uh, A three week series based off of my brand new EP, Freedom. And today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about freedom because it is something that we've preached and we've heard many times in church. If you're, if you grew up Christian or if you, you were in the evangelical world, this concept of freedom was something you heard about a lot. We sang about a lot in church services. And I here, let me give you a little bit of my backstory Um, At the age of 18, I became a pastor. Yes, at the age of 18, right out of high school, I was involved in this cool mega church and had a lot of lights and smoke and uh, thousands of people every week. And here I was, the age of 18, I quickly became a worship pastor in this ministry and I started singing about freedom freedom in Christ. It was, it was a beautiful concept and people loved it. It moved audiences to tears, to joy, to dancing. I remember being on tour and and with our band from the church and everything seemed to be going great. You know, we, uh, we, we would be singing this song called, (laughs) some of you will laugh when you hear this, the song undignified. Any, any takers out there? The song Undignified was this, uh, this song that really took over in the, in the Christian music world. We, we were just, uh, we, we were trying to enjoy this freedom, but you know, every week I would stand up there and I would say, Hey, you can find freedom in Jesus if you do this and 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 this, freedom is yours. Yeah, I preach that every week. And sometimes I look back at those things that I would say, and I'm not sure if I really saw people 
experience that freedom. Many people would stand in church and be excited about what we were doing, but I don't know how many folks were actually experiencing freedom. I know I wasn't. I stood up on that stage each and every week and the lights are hot. The, you know, the the energy was high. Whenever you hear a crowd of people cheering, it doesn't matter what it is. It's an exciting environment. It's exciting to be a part of it. And I just remember like standing backstage before I'd go on stage. And as soon as we would, you know, end the first song, you'd hear that roar of the crowd. And that felt like freedom, right? It felt like an exciting thing, but I'm starting to wonder, and as I look back at some of my time as a pastor, as an evangelical, um, you know, worship leader, what, what did I really experience? I think I experienced some exciting things, but off the stage, was I actually free? Like, Like, was I actually free? That's the real question here. And I ask myself this question a lot. Because I stood up there and said, freedom is yours and Jesus. And the band would strike up and the crowd would be moved. The hands would raise. But I don't know if I was experiencing it for myself. Because off that stage, I was going through conversion therapy I was living as a prisoner in my own life and in my own existence. I I was living with an extreme amount of like accountability software or like accountability in all areas of my life. But it was all I was told that these things were to help with my freedom. But the things I was being held accountable to were my gender struggles. And in my life as a pastor being on stage every week in front of thousands of people, I had to minimize scandal, right? You had to minimize scandal. And if you're an evangelical megachurch pastor and you are wearing women's clothes in private, that is a scandal. And so what I had to do is I had to deny, I had to, what we would call deny your flesh, right? (laughs) That was, I watched this YouTube video this week where this girl said, um, I want to thank the, the church for making me use this term flesh casually. (laughs) I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, there's some things that I would say as a pastor and we would say in church that I'm like, normal people don't ever use these terms. Here's, here's a fun one. Um, and uh, do not take this out of context as a listener. If you just take a 20 second sound bite, this would sound really terrible. But as a, when I first went to plant a church as a pastor, I had to go get a job, um, in retail to pay my bills and support my kids. And so I was working in a retail store and this retail store, I would say the staff was maybe, you know, um, 90% black women. Um, and here I was, you know, this was pre transition. So here I am this white guy at the time. 
And in church, we use this term, um, and, and it means a good thing. It was, I, I, we used to say all the time, you're such a servant. Thanks for being such a servant. That term, like in white evangelical churches, is like, a, a, it, it's a term that is acceptable. It's a term that's like, um, it is, what is it? What's the, um, it is building someone up. It is a compliment. That's the word I'm looking for. It was a compliment. But let me tell you, in an, a retail environment with a mostly black staff and me at the time as a white male saying to this girl and our staff, thank you, you're such a servant. That did not go over very well. Let me tell you, it was an awkward moment and I caught it right away. Thankfully, before anything, uh, any chaos ensued, I caught it, but I had to explain to her, you know what? There's these like terms that I have used as a pastor my whole life. And that is not what that sounded like. And so I apologized to her. It was really awkward. We got through that, but there's a lot of things that I would say from stage that made sense inside of a church service, like the, like the concept of freedom. This concept of freedom is something that we many times talk about in church environments. But if you're somebody who has never been in a church before, you can hear Christians talk about freedom. And then you look at what they actually mean by it. What I actually meant by freedom was far from it. Because when I would talk about freedom, it was always attached with something. It was always attached with denying something about yourself. Where we look at freedom from a different lens, if you look at freedom from a human, uh, a human perspective, out, uh, an outside of church perspective, you look at freedom and you think, okay, well, this person who says that they're free isn't allowed to go see their friends because they have to be home every day at this time. And and that was the concept. That was the concept. Like me as a white male pastor, I couldn't like freely talk to anybody I wanted to. There was a subculture where like men couldn't talk to women who weren't married or like I couldn't engage in like any type of friendship with a woman. Um, This was all pre-transition again. Like I couldn't engage in any, any friendship with a woman. Um, in before I came out and, and while I was married, because if I even became friends with some woman, then it could turn into, you know, like a, um, like a, an affair. This isn't freedom, you know, like telling people who they can and cannot be friends with is not freedom, but I preached that as freedom for so long and many times in church environments, I would stand and say, and say, Here's where you can find freedom. If you're gay, you need to let that go and then you'll be free. If you're trans, let go of your transness and you will be free. Be who, quote, God created you to be from the beginning. All the while, I on the inside was dying and lying to the masses. I found 
myself preaching freedom from inside of a cell, inside of my own personal hell. I was telling people, come see what I found while I was standing in the pit of hell itself. That was not freedom. And I'm telling you, friends, as someone who was a megachurch pastor and stood in front of thousands of people and preached with a smile, look at what the preacher, what the preacher says and ask yourself if what they're saying is real or if it's just part of a rehearsed line. Because I had to really think through what freedom was many times in my life. I had to look at and I had to really practice the things I was saying because I didn't know if I believed it myself. There are many times pastors will stand from a prison cell and tell you they're free and tell you to join them. I'm telling you, it's a trap. Be careful. Know where freedom is in the first place. Know that there is life outside of the cell. And that we don't have to believe every single thing we hear from the pulpit. That's hard to hear, but you don't have to believe everything you hear from a pulpit. So my brand new EP, The Freedom EP, is out anywhere you get music. And I would love if you would go stream it, save it, and share it with those you love. This album, this EP, is really a celebration of the freedoms that we have when we understand who we are and when we can set aside religious trauma and dogma that holds us back from thriving and flourishing. You can go anywhere you stream music, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, even YouTube. These songs are available. And if you would like, you can also support this podcast by going to the show notes and hitting the link to support this show. You can give for just as little as $3 a month. And every little bit makes a huge difference in creating access for faith for LGBTQ people. Before the break, I was talking about how I used to preach freedom from the pulpit and preach that you you could find the freedom and and preachers would would say really pretty things from the stage and say to join them in their freedom when they would be standing in a personal cell of their own. That was me. But I want to look at a few things today. What does freedom as a progressive Christian mean? 
If if I had to put labels on myself, I, I would probably say I'm a progressive Christian. And I'm also what's what's known as a process theologian. What is process theology? Um, it, some some ideas are like deliberative theology. What parts of your theology can you deliberate, right? Um, I've been learning about this stuff in seminary. What, what is your embedded theology and what is your deliberative theology? And the movement from your embedded theology, the thing that you always believed that you were always told was true and that stuck in your heart and mind growing up or whenever you first like had your experience with God, what was embedded in that moment? And then what can you deliberate? What are the things that you can see in your own personal theology that can change? The space in between from what you thought you knew to something new you learned in your theology and your pursuit of God and the divine, that is process theology. And to me, my whole process, my whole theology says this, if I believe what I believed 10 years ago, if what I believe now, I believe the same exact thing in 10 years, there's something wrong with my theology. That's where I am at, and that may not make a lot of people happy, but you know what? I, I have lived my life trying to make people happy, and at this point in my life, it's giving me more uh, more passion to know God. It's, it's giving me more of a spiritual hunger to be able to say, what new can I learn about the divine? And that has helped me so much. So what does freedom look like as a, as a progressive, as a process theologian? Because freedom used to look like for me controlling my flesh, right? Freedom, freedom used to look like, uh, you know, X3 watch or uh, covenant eyes, uh, porn blockers on my phone. It used to look like, um, you know, not not going into the women's clothing section of a, of a store. It used to look like denying myself. That's what freedom used to look like for me. But what does it look like now? What is freedom now to me? You see, I, it was sold to me when I was in my process of trying to understand my gender that my gender question was sin, that it was against the heart of God. But here's the reality is that it was my real self. It was my design. It was the reality of how I was made trying to come out and my religion was suppressing me. So, I was trying to get free. Freedom now, as a progressive process theologian, looks totally different. I stand here today as someone who has left the jail cell, who is preaching freedom to you, the listener, from outside of the walls of the prison of my own religion. I want to offer you three things today that define freedom for me now. 
If this podcast is still going on in 10 years, I hope that I could do this podcast and my three things I share about freedom would be totally different. And I I think that would be pretty cool. But here we go. The first thing, what does freedom as a progressive Christian look like? The first thing, I, I, I think it's about flourishing. Human flourishing. I, this idea, this concept of flourishing. You look at, you look like animals in the wild, right? And you think, wow, they're flourishing. They're everywhere, you know, or you go to a garden and it's just growing and it's spreading and it looks beautiful. You would say it's flourishing. That to me is one of the beautiful concepts of freedom now for me in my life. Author David Russell says this. He says, we are all called by the very nature of our humanity to work for a shared human community characterized by justice, equity, and mutual caring. In these qualities and values that enable us as fellow human beings to fulfill our true human potential together, cherishing creation. Ooh, let's talk about that. Cherishing creation. I went through such a process in my life trying to get free, trying to get free of what I thought was my sin. I thought my gender was my sin. But I came to find out my theology helped me to cherish how I was created, to understand that my transness was part of my design. My transness, my gender variant that I wasn't aware of when I was, I I found out when I was young, but I didn't have language for it. But now in my life, I've come to cherish this design that was put inside of me. It was like I, I had my whole life to understand this interesting nuance that God put inside of me to cherish my creation. Russell continues, he says in this passage, he says, however, there are many forces pitted against this commitment to human flourishing and their roots go and grow deep. They become manifested in attitudes, behaviors, and structures that undermine our human endeavors. And I would add that they undermine human flourishing. Every single day, hundreds of comments flood to my social media telling me that my design shouldn't and my creation should not be cherished. But I'm here to tell you that freedom is understanding that design, understanding you and you were made beautifully. The second thing I want to tell you is uh, when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it says this, it says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus talking. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is a light. Thinking about these forces that David Russell talked about being pitted against us, 
our religious systems have at times been pitted against us. This idea that, that we, we shouldn't thrive. We shouldn't thrive naturally in our humanity has been taught to us. We've been given a heavy yoke and a heavy burden. We haven't been given an easy faith to follow as LGBTQ Christians or people who wrestle with their gender. Right now, there's someone listening to this podcast who was just like me years ago. The only safe place to listen to a trans person talking about faith is while you're on an hour-long drive alone or you're cutting the grass outside and no one will listen or know that you're listening to a trans person talking talking because your faith system has told you that even listening to someone telling you something other than your religious dogma is evil. But I'm here to tell you today that the yoke is easy and the burden is light and you do not have to listen to religion tell you that how you were created isn't enough. The yoke is easy and the burden is light. The last thing I want to say is that freedom as a progressive Christian, as a process theologian like myself, freedom lets you live today. Freedom lets you enjoy your life today. I said earlier in the podcast, I'm a three-time conversion therapy survivor. Three times I was told by my religion that, that I can't be how I was created. And love God and love Jesus. I was told that three times. And then I found a therapist who who heard my story, who walked with me through the mess, saw my humanity and saw my creation. and offered me a way to freedom. Showed me the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus. Therapy should lead you to life. If you're ever in a therapy session and they're trying to force you into a biblical narrative, run. Red flag. If you ever if you ever hear someone telling you that they believe in the sanctity of life, just remind your friend lovingly that this needs to extend past the womb.
So my challenge today is whatever keeps you from flourishing, whatever keeps you from cherishing your creation, let it go. Be free of it. Find your freedom. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you are someone who needs support, please reach out to this show. I would love to walk with you through anything you're facing. Live in freedom and know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You are a beautiful and perfect creation. We'll see you next week.